This is the Calvary Bible Church Podcast. Thanks for listening in today. We're praying this message encourages you. Learn more about Calvary and join us online each Sunday for services at calvarybible.com. I'm so happy to be with you for Calvary Online. I'm John. The six weeks or so between Mother's Day and Father's Day are my favorite time of year. It usually means that the grass is greening up and the trees are leafing out and the wildflowers are beginning to bloom on the trails. And it's, it means that it's time for everybody's favorite springtime activity, mowing the lawn. I'm trying to pass this sacred responsibility on to my children. So the first time we cut the grass this season, I invited my 11-year-old son, Cooper, out for a little training session. We talked about safety. I taught him about the importance of cutting the perimeter of the yard first and then making sure to follow back and forth in very straight lines. He made it about three or four passes before I could sense that uh, maybe he doesn't quite yet share the same passion for this project that I do. So he headed inside while I finished up. After I was done, I went inside and mentioned to Lindsay that Cooper had done a really good job, but had sort of lost interest after two or three turns. And she said, well, he did say to me that daddy is very particular about the way we cut the grass. Yes, I am. Very particular. I like straight lines in my lawn. If it were up to me, the height of my grass would be roughly equivalent to the length of a putting green. I wonder if that's because I feel like I have some control over this small area of my life when so much of our world just feels out of hand. I think there are a number of ways that we try to control things in our own little world. Might be the yard. It could be our health. It may be, for some of us, is the way that we try to organize our home. Sometimes, though, our desire for control makes its way into other less appropriate areas of our life, like trying to control other people and their behavior, like micromanaging every possible detail at work or planning a very specific outcome in some part of our life only to be disappointed when it doesn't happen just the way we want it. Letting go of unhealthy control probably requires one character trait more than any other, humility, which is simply a modest opinion of ourselves. If you've been with us for our Market Up series in the book of James, you know that the theme of humility has come up a lot. In the very first chapter, in verse 5 of his letter, James says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. That's an attitude of humility. The ability to say, I don't know everything. And the true source of wisdom is God himself. Later in the first chapter, in verses 16 and 17, James says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. It's not just wisdom that comes from God, but everything that I have, everything I need is ultimately God's gift to me. My life, 
my possessions, my relationships, all that I am and all that I have has come from God. And that perspective influences the way that I live. In verse 21 of chapter 1, James says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Meekness is just another word for humility. And it ought to be a defining character trait of the Christian. Humility before others and before God. Chapter 3, who is wise and understanding among you, it says in verse 13, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Let us not grow proud in what we do or, or how we live, but let us live a life of service to God and to others in meekness, in humility. The final verse we looked at last week, which is right in the center of chapter 4, and I think which links together what otherwise might feel like a kind of random collection of advice from James, says, Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. The kind of humility that James hopes his readers will have is one that understands they're not actually in control of everything, even if they wish they were. Instead, they have a perspective about God that helps them stay humble. And here it is. Humble people hold a high view of God. They see God as the actual one who is in control. The one who holds all things together. We're going to look at verses 11 through 17 of chapter 4 of James today. So I hope you'll grab your Bible or maybe your journal and turn with me there. The first two verses we'll look at argue for a high view of God in this way, that God has absolute power. And because of that, we can live with less control over others. The next five verses explain that God has absolute authority, and therefore, we're called to live our lives under it. Humble people hold a high view of God, a God of absolute power, and authority. Let's look at verses 11 to 12 first. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or sister or judges his brother or sister speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver. And judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? One of the ways that we try to control others and the way it might show itself in our life is the way that we talk about them. James addresses this issue with his first century audience, a group of believers who were learning how to live together as Christians. And apparently some were speaking evil against each other. Another way to describe what was happening is to use the word slander, words that go way beyond just simple constructive criticism. This is language that seeks to destroy the reputation of another person, to ruin them. And this wasn't some anonymous troll on the internet. This was a 
brother or sister, a fellow believer, a person who they lived with and worshipped with, perhaps who was talking behind their back or maybe even right to their faces publicly in a slanderous and defaming kind of way. And we might expect that kind of behavior from a troll, but not from a brother or a sister in Christ. And James had to remind them that one who speaks against a brother or judges a brother or sister actually speaks evil against the law and judges the law. It's not just slandering a person or speaking that way that that actually slanders or speaks evil, but it, it actually defames God's word. It's not just against a person, it's against God's law, James says. Remember in chapter 2 when James talked about the law, he said in verse 8, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, then you are doing well. The royal law of God, James says, is this, to love God and to love your neighbor. Jesus said that's basically what the whole Bible is all about, loving God and loving others. And when believers speak evil against a brother or sister, they slander the royal law of God. Jesus said in Matthew 15, but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder and adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. Slanderous words betray the reality of an evil heart. And when they come from our mouths, they put us basically in a position of judging the law over and above it, having authority over God's word. And James says, when that happens, then we become not a doer of the law, not not living up to what God has called us to do, but rather a judge of it. And as we've seen, we're called to be doers of the word, not hearers only, and certainly not judges of the law, because there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. God has absolute power. He created each of us. He gave us his law to live by. And he is the one who will judge all humankind for the way they've lived up to it. Have they surrendered to God's absolute saving power? He is the one, the only one, who has the power to save. Humble people hold a high view of God. God, and only God, has the absolute power to save, to rescue us from the evil that naturally lives within each and every one of us. He is the only one who can gift us the power of the Holy Spirit, which means that the absolute power of God lives within us and then equips us to be able to overcome the temptation we might experience to speak evil against another person, to stand in judgment against them. It's good to live our life with God's power in mind. We can release the need we often have to control the behavior of others because we know that God is the one who saves. Knowing that we can't control their choice to follow Jesus, only God can reach into their hearts and draw them to himself. God 
has absolute power. And he also has absolute authority. Look at verse 13 with me. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows what the right thing to do is and fails to do it, for him or her, it is sin. Have you ever made plans that didn't quite work out the way that you expected? How many of us made travel plans that kind of imploded over the last couple of years? We were under the impression we had it all figured out. Our flights were booked. Our hotel rooms were reserved. We had these wonderful experiences prepared. And then they didn't exactly happen, did they? How many people do you think were prepared to retire in 2008 And then the housing market crashed. Stocks tumbled. And their well-conceived plans were suddenly turned right upside down. Uncertainty in the world isn't just a modern reality. Look at the issue they were dealing with in the first century. In the first century, excuse me. Businessmen and women who made travel plans to go into such and such a town and spend some time there and sell things and make money. James isn't saying it's it's wrong to make plans, but he is saying, let's be honest, you just don't have any idea what tomorrow brings. The world is uncertain. A pandemic, a financial crisis, an unexpected diagnosis. The problem he's addressing here isn't a problem with plans, it's a problem with pride. And as we saw last time earlier in chapter 4, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And it's while humble people hold a high view of God that proud people possess a poor view of God. They just don't really even consider him in their planning, in their work, in their life. They don't take into account that God may have different plans than theirs, and that may lead to uncertainty. God becomes at best an afterthought. And the group that James is writing to was apparently living out of pride seeing themselves as more important than they actually are. We'll do these things and then this will happen because we're a big deal in business. The masters of our own destiny. When we make plans, they happen. But the truth is, God is the one who has all authority. He's the one who's sovereign over the events of the world in control, over the outcome of our life. The one who knows our beginning and our end. And the one we're called to look to as we live. Now, let's be clear. The Bible often encourages us to make plans. But we're called to do so acknowledging the authority of God over it all. Proverbs Proverbs 16 says, The heart of man plans his way, but it's the Lord who establishes his steps. Elsewhere in Proverbs, many are the plans... In the minds of a man, but the purpose, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. In the grand eternal scheme of things, James says, 
Our life on earth is like a mist, a vapor that comes as quickly as it goes. And, and God's people are meant to live with more than just this life in mind, but with eternity in mind as they make decisions, not just live in the here and now. And when we live under God's absolute authority, then we know that we can hold loosely to the things of this world because the world to come is forever. And when we live with God's absolute authority in mind, we submit to the reality that our plans might change, that God might have a different idea or purpose than we anticipated. I would so much rather live knowing that God is in control, clinging to the truth that if God is for us, then who can be against us? It doesn't ultimately matter what happens here on the earth because God has a plan for you and for me that extends far beyond our days here on this earth. Even if we lose everything, God is still in control and his plan is greater than ours. So let us live and make plans by saying, James says, If the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. Living under the absolute authority of God is a good way to live in God's will. It means there's no part or aspect of our life that's off limits to God. He is, he's in every part of it, every sector of my life, my work, my travel, my health, my wealth. There's nothing that's off limits to his will for me. Sometimes it can be hard for us to discern God's will. Does he want me to take this job? Does he want me to sell the house? Does he want me to marry this person or not be married? Go to this school or to that school? Discerning God's will for us begins by acknowledging that he has absolute authority over every aspect of our lives. And knowing that certain parts of God's will for my life are clearly communicated to me through his word. First and foremost, that God wants every person everywhere to turn away from sin and to turn to his son, Jesus Christ, for salvation. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's God's will for you unquestionably that would that you would turn from a life of sin and turn to him in repentance for salvation. He also reveals his will to us about finances, about sexuality, about marriage, about interpersonal relationships. And when we live out God's will in the areas that he clearly reveals to us through his word, it helps us to be in position in the unknown areas of his will, like which job to take or school to attend or house to buy. Humble people hold a high view of God. They see God as having absolute power and absolute authority over everything. James closes chapter four by saying, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him or her, it is sin. If we know we're called to live as the humble people of God who acknowledge his absolute power and authority, but in reality, we actually live in a way that's as if he doesn't exist, that if we know the right thing to do but fail to do it, then, James says, we're living a life in opposition to God. So why does our view of God matter? 
our view of God determines how we live. If our view of God is poor, then he can't really provide us anything. And then we live life without him in mind. He's powerless, so why would we ask him for anything anyway? He has no authority, so why would I care what he thinks about my life or the decisions that I make? We might not ever describe our view of God in that way. But if we live in such a way that doesn't actually acknowledge him, perhaps our view of God needs to be greater than it is. Expanded from the small, insignificant ideas we might have about him and instead grow to include the reality that God has absolute power and authority. We've said it before. I'm sure we'll say it again. But what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. That's a quote from Tozer. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. Do you hold a high view of God and his glory? Or a lesser, poor view of God and his purposes? Let us be the people who see God for who he is high and lifted up, our King and Creator, our Maker and Master, our Father and Friend. God is great and greatly to be praised. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you have the power, the power to save. And we thank you that you have sent your Son so that we might find salvation through him. We thank you, God, too, that you have absolute authority and that we can live as your people under your kind and gracious and merciful authority for our life. We can look to you for your will, and it's a good way to live under your leadership, God. I pray for my friends who are joining us today for a greater view of God, an increased knowledge of who you are and what you've done a greater capacity to understand how marvelous, how wonderful, how glorious you are, God. That's what we need more than anything, a greater view of God. May we be the kind of people who hold you in high esteem, God. You are our king and you are our joy. We give you thanks for your word and our time together. We pray all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We'd love to help you follow Jesus. If we can answer questions or if we can pray with you, there's this online connect card. You can click there or in the link in the description below. Let us know how we might come alongside you. Until we're together again, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.